I'm not pulling out of my driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for another Drive to Work Coronavirus Edition. So using my time at home to do interviews, and today I have Yanni, who is the lead designer of Strixhaven. Hey, Yanni. Uh, Yanni Skolnick. Hey. <laughs> hey, Mark. Thanks for having me on. Okay, so uh, this is an interesting. Uh, I actually had a podcast with Ari. Ari and me, we were talking about um, the vision design of this set. And I had it with Taylor, and we talked about the art design of the set. So you're on to talk about the set design. So the the audience, if they really want to get a sense of all the different parts, I, I, this one set, I've had a lot of different people on. So you, you can get a lot of facets about what different people are doing. So yeah. so let's talk a little bit about set design. So um, I finished this set. I, I led the vision, and I handed you a file and a document. So pick yeah. it up. let's pick up the story from there. Yeah. So uh, Eric Lauer led the first month of uh, set design as kind of a transition period. Um, our biggest focus there was uh, looking at what would be the mechanic that added casting more spells to the game. Uh, we decided that flashback, which you handed off, didn't make a lot of sense. We wanted to save it for Innistrad, and we felt like doing it in both sets uh, wasn't something that felt right. So we kind of got right away to looking for a thing to replace uh, flashback with, which ended up being learn lesson. Okay, how, how did you get to learn lesson? How did how, how, how did you get there? Like, what process got you to there? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think we just had a meeting or two to kind of brainstorm a lot of ideas. Uh, Eric and I both kind of separately pitched something in the space of learn lesson, and then we reconciled our ideas. Um, I know Eric had been inspired partially by the we considered using a similar mechanic in Kaladesh, which you may have talked about before. Called Invention. Uh, getting, it was Invention yep. was the, the name of the mechanic. Uh, getting artifacts out of your sideboard. Um, and it seemed to make a lot of sense for instance in sorceries. Um, instant sorceries have a lot of narrow effects that uh, are make sense living in the sideboard. And also it was a good way to... Um, justify spells making tokens to have them act as creatures. And so when we got to putting it all together, it just pretty quickly made a lot of sense and felt like something that Eric, uh, after having looked at the artifact version in Kaladesh, felt we could execute on pretty well. So how how long do you think it took from removing, uh, taking out flashback mm -hmm. to adding in less learns? How, how long did that process take? Uh, probably only a couple of weeks. It was basically the, the first major thing we tried, and after our first playtest, we had enough confidence in it that we decided to plan for it to be the thing. Okay, so it was pretty, it was pretty quick. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Within, within that one month that Eric led the team before handing it off to me to lead. Okay. Um, so the, the one other thing you added um, mm -hmm. was the idea of the Mystic uh, Archive. That, that was yes. added... When did that happen? That happened uh, later in design. We, maybe around the halfway point of set design, um, we just had some concerns in the company that Strixhaven wasn't really showing people why it was a plane worth caring about. We had this idea that it was the most prestigious school for magic in the universe, in the multiverse, but nothing to really show that as concrete proof to our players. Um, so... I think we, we got to the idea of doing this kind of, you know, bonus sheet, as we kind of call it, of extra cards from another set that was considering doing it, but then ended up thinking it didn't make sense. 
And once again, uh, similar to how um, Kaladesh looked at doing Learn Lesson, but with artifacts, their idea for what their kind of mystical archive would be was a lot more problematic because it had a lot of permanence. But then us doing it with instance and sorceries, we kind of immediately realized how to make the gameplay aspect of it work better in draft. Kaladesh did have, I forget what they were called, uh, did have the the artifacts from the past, uh, just at a much, much, much lower rarity than, than like a bonus sheet. It was, yeah, I I was, um, you know, always a big fan of what we did when we called them masterpieces, I believe. Yeah. In battle for Zendikar and, uh, Kaladesh and Amonkhet. Uh, I think the biggest issue the audience had with them is they felt just a bit too rare and not something that you were, uh, really going to encounter unless you were opening boxes upon boxes. And so with what we did in Strixhaven, we really wanted to make something that showed up every single time. Um, And, you know, there was a lot of work to look at different drop methods and different uh, methods of distribution, especially since we had already kind of figured out what we wanted to look limited to look like. And we were halfway through the process. We wanted to find something that um, wouldn't totally upend the format and would allow still a lot of focus to be on the stuff that was going in in Strixhaven. And we found this uh, method of having all the uncommons, which you get two-thirds of the time, be cards from standard that people would already be familiar with and would have lower impact in limited games than all these iconic rare and mythic cards we wanted to bring back from throughout Magic's history. So let's, I want to tackle that. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the big challenges, I think, like one of the things about vision design is I come up with a really grand idea and then I give it off something to actually make it work, right? That, mm-hmm. um, and so one of the really big challenges, I think, of this set was making instants and sorceries matter in a big way. That it's something we've talked about forever, but it mm-hmm. was a really big challenge. So let's talk a little bit about, like, I mean, I, I, the Vision Design gave you some tools and some tools you had to build on your own. But what was it like to make that work? <clears throat> yeah, uh, I think that, you know, we we got... In the handoff, we kind of decided to keep that Magecraft was the main thing that was compelling you to put these extra instances and sorceries in your deck. We liked that each school would have its own uh, reasons for caring more or less about instances and sorceries and what their own Magecraft effects would have. The most challenging part of getting it to work was that uh, Magecraft as an ability just adds a ton of complexity, being triggers on the board that can happen multiple times in a turn or at instant speed on your opponent's turn. Your opponent is always aware it's something that could happen. And so designing the set around those abilities uh, meant we had to be very careful with what um, with what other cards did that were complex and on the board. I think a lot of our a lot of our reasoning for iterating on schools in various ways was making sure we were giving them ways to express their uh, mechanics and their school their school identities in ways that weren't adding too much complexity on top of the Magecraft and tons of instance and sorceries environment. So wh- what what is like a concern that like, as someone who has to build the set, that maybe the average player doesn't even think about, but like what what mm-hmm. problems does carrying about instance and sorceries, wh- what, what do you have to solve? Mm-hmm. Um, let's see, I'll, I'll say as an example of what I was just talking about, for example, for Wiverbloom, we got pretty quickly to, we love, it's about life gain. One of our favorite ways to care about life gain is to trigger whenever you gain life. But that had a lot of similarities to Magecraft. 
So we had to look for uh, abilities in Waverbloom that care about life gain, but aren't adding a bunch of triggers to the board. We got to cards like Brackish Trudge, which you, uh, if you gain life that turn, you can return from your artifact. Or the Honor Troll, which uh, increases how much life you gain and cares about you having a life, uh, high life total. Um, other issues with instants and sorceries. Well, every set, every color just had one or two more instants and sorceries than it normal, normally gets. So there was just a higher quantity of them. And that meant we just had to reach further for more design space that instants and sorceries could use. Um, it did help that we have the learn mechanic, which you can take something that's, you know, a very small effect, add learn to it, like you would add cantrip to something. And now it's a very useful card, like our white card that gives a single plus one plus one counter. Usually that has a very low impact in your deck and isn't, you know, maybe you have one or two slots for a combat trick like that. But making it a learn card means it now kind of counts as a creature. And because you can get the summoning sorceries um, and you can, you're able to print a lot more of those niche effects because they have that extra utility. Yeah, it's interesting, The as you brought up, the, the Asfan... So Asfan, for those, I use this term all the time, but for those that don't happen to know the term, stands for Asfan. It talks about what percentage of something when you open up a booster pack, how often does a, sub, a theme show up? Um, and one of the biggest problems instant sorceries provide to you is, right, the Asfan's a little low on something that you want to care about. Um, mm -hmm. And so part of the challenge is... How do we get more in the set? Part of it is making more instant sorceries. Um, part of it is, right, recurring them or finding ways to reuse them. Like, one of the reasons that Flashback was something I, I was interested in is it allowed you for one card to get two two spells, you mm -hmm. know. Um, and then and Lesson Learn can do some of that as well. That you, a lot of times, the Lesson Learn themselves are spells, and then they get you spells. And so um, Lesson Learn filled a, a similar void. Yeah. Finding um, instances and sorceries that could replace effects from traditionally other card type was really important. Um, the biggest example of that is finding reasons for instance and sorceries to make tokens. So the, the biggest aspect of that was just having every school have their own iconic token, which it made sense for them to make. Part of what we also liked about Quandrix was because they're, the Quandrix fractals being variable is that um, it helped justify putting those on instance and sorceries a lot. You know, a sorcery that just makes a single token just kind of asks you, why shouldn't this be a creature? Um, so making them lessons uh, that you get from the sideboard may help justify that. But also the Quandrix cards, like I was saying, of it counts how many lands you have and then makes a token of that size. Well, you already need to track something unusual with this card. So it's a lot uh, more normal for it to be a token than just a creature. Um, another example of that is we have a lot more plus one plus one counters, which worked well with us getting to Silver Quill needing to be more about combat. So they get cards that give plus one plus one counters instead of auras or equipment that buff your creatures. Um, and then the way we got to having colorless sorceries, which ended up all being lessons, was actually from asking the question of why, um, you know, in Ravnica, we have signets or lockets that are artifacts that fix your mana. Can we make those sorceries? And that got us to kind of an early version of environmental sciences, which ended up being one of the most important lessons in the format. Okay, so another, I'm just jumping around here. You you can, if, if, if you have more to say on any topic, <laughs> let me know. I'm just jumping around and talking about interesting things. Um, so another challenge for you, uh, this was all on me giving you this one, um, 
Originally, uh, fencing was the was the only uh, fencing was the code mm-hmm. name for uh, Strixhaven. Originally, Strixhaven was the only set that was going to have the the modal double face cards. Uh, and the idea originally was, oh, this is one of the techniques to get spells in your deck because they can be permanent on one side and a spell on the other. Um, and then we broke them out. We ended up making a year-long thing. We did lands in the first set and the gods in the second set. But you were kind of obligated to do them because we mm-hmm. sort of set it up as a year-long thing. So I know there's some challenges to this. So I'll talk a little bit about the, the challenges of MDFCs in your set. Yeah, so... Um... Uh, what well, well, the biggest challenge to start was just finding, uh, you know, we wanted a lot of them to be a permanent affront and a sorcery on the back. And for that, it meant that I felt the sorcery needed to have kind of a higher level of complexity and do more um, to not to differentiate itself from other mechanics that are a permanent and a spell like adventure or channel. Um, so we put a lot of time into trying to make sure that these combinations of permanent and spell were unique um and that also kind of carried over to our permanent permanent cards like the deans um where we had to make sh- where i felt the pressure to make both sides be kind of unique and deep in their gameplay and that ended up with a lot of them being quite overly complicated which is one of the aspects of a set that i think came came out the roughest in the end um Another uh, aspect of a challenge is we really wanted to show kind of opposites with the schools having like a white and a black effect that showed different uh, sides of it. And usually that was fairly um, straightforward with just, you know, a white effect and a black effect are pretty opposite. And if you put them in uh, any white effect and any black effect that are at all similar, they'll look kind of like opposites. So my favorite of those was always one that was, uh, I believe, handed off from design of a white creature that gives your other creatures indestructible and a black uh, destroy all your creatures spell that spares one thing to kind of contrast selfless selflessness and selfishness. Um, but it was pretty challenging to find in many of the designs ways that felt uh, cohesive in the same deck, but played out like opposites. Um one of those uh, examples that I'll give is some uh, one I think you handed over of the blue side's a permanent control magic and the red side is an active treason, a temporary control magic. Well, typically those go in very different decks. Active treason is something you want as a finish the game and end it right there. And control magic is because you're playing for a longer game and you're trying to um, <clears throat> steal your opponent's resources and kind of beat them on card advantage. Um so that's a kind of example of something I was looking to avoid where I wanted to make sure that all those DFCs, both sides felt like opposites, but really made sense in the same deck. So another big challenge of this product was um, we were trying to sort of revisit a theme we've done, but make it its own. Uh, and so clearly Ravnica had established sort of the, the model of the faction set. And this set was trying to sort of reclaim that a little bit. It was a two-color faction world, but it was trying very hard trying not to be Ravnica. Um, what challenges, like, what were the challenges of not being Ravnica for you in building the set? <clears throat> mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, we made the decision, you know, kind of the biggest on its face change was not having one mechanic per faction and instead having uh, less, you know, uh, spell mechanics be shared across all of them. And so... Um, 
you know, one of the big challenges there was making the factions feel cohesive and like all their cards went together and gave you a story about what it did and also a strategy about what it did, but not kind of using the same line of text over and over again so much that it felt strange that we weren't um, keywording it and making it a mechanic. So we ended up with a good deal of lines of text that were repeated kind of three or four times below that bar for a mechanic to give you a clear strategy and limited and tell you, hey, if you're building a Quandrix deck, um, there's all these kind of wacky cards that care about numbers, but the thing you maybe see the most often is if you control eight or more lands, and you can kind of figure out all those eight or more lands go together uh, to end up with a cohesive deck uh, where the other Quandrix cards also fit in really well, and hopefully it feels like you're counting to eight, and that's something mathy. So Quandrix, by the way, uh, was the, the school that changed the most from what, from what Vision Design handed over to what ended up in the printed set. Um, we, I, I'm curious to talk a little bit about this, because this is definitely something you guys have a big impact <laughs> on. Um, so when we handed over Quandrix, uh, mm-hmm. we had modeled it a, as like a go-wide strategy, like a very Selesnian kind of thing. And uh, fractals in our version, you made a lot of fractals. Like it was variable how many fractals you made, but they were all 1-1 one, one creatures. They weren't... Um, and so we handed over to you sort of this go-wide strategy. That is not what happened. So how did it get to where it ended up? Yeah. Uh, So Eric and I talked through it and decided that um, the first big issue was just that the Quandrix were making 1-1s and Weaverbloom also wanted to make 1-1s and we wanted the tokens to be a little more different than that. And then we also felt like somewhere in the set there should be a faction that is making huge creatures. Uh, Prismari got up to 4-4s but we felt like having something even bigger was an opportunity that we shouldn't, uh, that, you know, we shouldn't miss. Um, and then a third issue was we wanted another, another faction to play in the kind of big mana space next to Prismari to go together with them better and to have um, more cohesion when you're mixing those two themes. And so all that kind of combined for us to decide that it made sense for Quandrix to be the big mana um, faction with the big creatures. And that brought us to, okay, they've got these variable size creatures and we can make all sorts of different effects that uh, tell you how to make them. Okay, another faction that, I mean, obviously you, you've, you you stuck close to what Vision Design was envisioning, but I know it was a, a big challenge um, with Lorehold, the, the red-white mm-hmm. Um we were trying, like, one of the, our goals in making these was we were trying to be very not the kind of a low-hanging fruit version that was the Ravnica version. And mm-hmm. I think Lorehold is the most divergent from what we traditionally do with Red-White. Uh, we, like, we made the choice not to be an aggro deck, which is what Red-White most of the time is. Um, mm-hmm. what, what were the challenges with Lorehold? <laughs> uh, yeah, so... A uh, big challenge was just figuring out what were the ways... They would care about the artifact. Red White has some pretty strict lines in the color pie of how it interacts with the artifact and how it deals with that. The graveyard. And we wanted to. Um, sorry. You said the artifact, the, but you meant the graveyard. Yes, I meant the graveyard. Yeah. Uh, artifacts. A spoiler for something I'll transition into in a moment. Um, for the graveyard, and uh, so so finding those lines of text was challenging. Um, we we found a few things that I'm very happy with. My favorite is the get a card back of, you know, four different card types, instant sorcery, artifact, 
uh, enchantment since red and white can each do some of those pieces. <clears throat> but getting back just one of those cards isn't really enough on its own. But when you combine it all, it makes for kind of a unique package. Um, and then also leveraging the whenever one or more uh, cards leaves your graveyard text um, to work with uh, some of the recursive elements that we were aiming at ha uh, giving red-white. We didn't want to kind of go all the way to making it a control deck. We felt that was a little bit too big of a departure for red-white. So we're always aiming at it as kind of a more uh, mid-range attrition deck that has these aggressive spirits uh, and this spirit of tribal strategy to transition to attacking your opponent and ending the game. But if that didn't work out, then it had these graveyard recursive methods to kind of make the game go long. Um, one thing I think that worked out great that I'm happy we did is I, you know, made sure Corey Bowen leading the commander team knew that he could take um, factions in different directions than we did in the main set. So always it was important. It's about history. Graveyard's an aspect of it. But uh, Corey's team also brought in artifacts as a thing for Lorehold to care about, which very much makes sense for the history to kind of give them um, more they can do in Commander, where them caring about Graveyard just couldn't really possibly compete with the way other colors care about Graveyard in Commander. Um, another good example of that is, I think, uh, with Silverquill, where for uh, Limited, we felt Silverquill needed to be the aggro faction, and it kind of you know, we, we tweaked for Vibe to have that make sense and gave them the theme of plus one, plus one counters. Um, but in Commander, that wasn't especially compelling, and they sort of got to a unique point of it being a politics Commander deck where they had all these effects that care about interacting with your opponents and helping pit them against each other. Um, and I felt that was another great way to show a faction off in a different light that totally felt cohesive with the flavor and... Um, worked alongside a lot of the cards in the main set, but had a very different core mechanical identity. Yeah, I know that it's interesting for us in uh, vision design, Silver Quill was one we struggled the most with. Like we knew we wanted to be the aggro because since red, white wasn't going to be aggro, it, it made the most sense for black, white to be aggro. Um, but like trying to make sense with what Silver Quill creatively was, like it took a lot of time to make all that package come together. But um, I, I, was, I was happy with how it sort of the end result came out when it was yeah. all said and done. Okay, so let's we there's two there's two ones we haven't talked about yet. So let's go on to Prismari. So yeah. um, the challenge with Prismari from our end, which I handed off to you, was we were trying to not be the Ravnica Guild, and the blue red Ravnica Guild is about spells. <laughs> so that there's some big challenges there. Yeah, um, I think pretty early on in Vision we landed about on they're going to cast big spells. Um, Ravnica, is it in Ravnica, had a lot of different spell mechanics, but the way that kind of always played out and constructed was the Wee Dragonauts deck, the Gutter Snipe deck, where you were rewarded, essentially the Magecraft deck, where you were rewarded for casting spells repeatedly rather than ramping up to big spells. Um, and so uh, Prismari was relatively one of the easier ones to execute on, where we got to, okay, their Magecraft abilities are... Uh, going to reward you less for repeating them and more for just casting one spell per turn. Um, I think the biggest thing we changed in set design was just adding a little bit of treasure to the equation, which both uh, which made sense mechanically as a way to ramp into spells and made sense flavorfully as it's the art school. They're making treasures. Um, 
Uh, several of the cards have, you know, treasure cycling, quote unquote, where you pay two mana and you discard the card to make a treasure. That adds a very small amount of power to the card, but it helps a lot to smooth out the draws and make it so you can put a higher amount of these cards in your deck. Since if you draw, you know, casting your turn seven spell on turn six is actually a very big difference. Um, we got to that starting with the uh, Bific Magma Opus where I just kind of asked my team, okay, I want to have a big flashy spell for them to cast uh, to aim at Constructed, but we also have these ultimatums in Standard. So how are we going to make this a big expensive spell to cast, but with very different dynamics than the ultimatums? And we got to A, make it an instant, and B, give it this kind of out clause at a lower mana cost so that uh, you can put more spots in your deck and it has a second usage. So before we get on to Weatherbloom, um, mm -hmm. you mentioned something that I, I just want to reaffirm. Uh, you and I know this, but the audience might not. Um, mm -hmm. When I talk about the uh, vision design team, Yanni was on the vision design team. He was part of the vision yep. design team. <laughs> so it, I mean, while we were handing this off to Yanni, Yanni was there the whole time. So, you know, um, it, different set designers work differently. Um, Yanni, uh, Dave like being on the set design. Eric just likes not to be on the set uh, vision design team. So it, it varies from set designer to set designer, but um i i i thought i i liked having you there i thought it was very helpful um, yeah i i love being involved in every part of the process uh i i'm an anxious type so the way i i feel more comfortable in life is just by always checking in and making sure i know what's going on and so it you know felt very good to be there seeing all the stuff and then when i was making set changes in set design i knew exactly why we had put things there in the first place for that reason and that gave me a lot more confidence that uh, I knew the changes I was making were the correct direction to move in. Okay, so our, la our, our last school to talk about, or college, sorry, college. We yep. call, in division design, we called them schools, and we later decided to call them colleges. So I, I always forget to call them colleges. Um, mm -hmm. Okay, so Witherbloom. That, that's the one that changed the least. I think Witherbloom yep. was the one that we handed over. And I mean, you guys did a lot of tweaking, but it, it didn't fundamentally change, I don't think. Yeah, Um yeah, it, it was pretty clear that it was about life gain, but it also had a bit of a sacrifice element with these pests as part of it. The The main struggle was just finding effects that cared about life gain that we felt wasn't adding um, an excessive amount of complexity to the board. Um, we, we love a Johnny's Pride mate, and so we had the common blood researcher doing that, but we didn't want too many things that trigger repeatedly when you're gaining life. Um, and so finding different versions of those was our main focus. Okay, so I I can um, see my I can see my I'll desk briefly, here. What? I'll briefly circle back around to Quandrex. Oh, sure, sure. Um, yeah, I, I think one of the uh, criticism a lot of people have the set, which is somewhat valid, is that other than, um, other than Lorehold set, the, the factions aren't extremely different than their Ravnica components. They're, you know, moderately different to different extents. Um, but we did want to, you know, we, we wanted to give a different faction, but not necessarily to rewrite the wheel with all five color pairs. Felt like that'd be a pretty big challenge. Um, Quandrix ended up skewing a bit closer in appearance to um, Simic by using the plus one, plus one counters. But we felt that their focus was still kind of on ramping, getting to big mana, and just going big in general. So even though they had that aesthetic of plus one, plus one counters, we felt um, 
it was sufficiently differentiated from Simic, and that it might be upside that, oh, you could play the uh, cards that create a lot of plus one, plus one counters, but then it's up to your Simic cards to manipulate or get extra value out of them. Um, and we also felt that, you know, green-blue so often is the color pair of just draw a bunch of cards and get a bunch of mana and go big. And we were kind of happy to have this actually be the first green-blue faction that was really about that. Um, it's kind of always the unofficial theme of green-blue, draw a bunch of cards, get a bunch of lands, go big. Um, and we liked it for Simic. We were kind of making it official when before it had just been plus one, plus one counters, weird biology, wonky stuff. I do want to point something important that you're mentioning is... Mm -hmm. If we had made a set where we took every every of the colleges and just went as weird as we could go, you know, if if, if Lorehold was the base in which all of them worked, it would be really disorienting. Uh, what I, yeah. I don't, what the audience doesn't really or needs to understand, which is Magic wants to always have something be different. We want to change something, but you need a lot of things to be the same. That it, it's possible for us to make a game of Magic using the rules of Magic that don't remotely feel like a game of Magic. And our goal is not to be as different as we can be. Our goal is to make a compelling game of magic. And that does require, there's a certain threshold of normalcy that a set needs to have. And while we had fun making lore holes, and it, it's cool that we can do stuff like that, it, it's kind of like having a cake of all icing. Like, you know, like mm -hmm. icing is cool to have on a cake, but you need some cake with your icing. And that too much icing really detracts if there's not cake there. And I think that's a yeah. lot of what the weird stuff can be. Yeah, that said, I do uh, I do hope that we will one day go back to Strixhaven and uh, we will be able to get a little bit of extra icing on those other factions. We had a lot of complexity that we were figuring out between just being an instant and sorcery set, being a set like Ravnica, but different. Um, so we did need to keep complexity low for a lot of the faction-based, what are they doing? What are they building around? Um, but I do think similar to how uh, you know, the main set and the commander deck showed different sides and different mechanical interpretations of Silver Quill and Lorehold that a future Ravna, uh, Strixhaven set could have, um, you know, Green Blue will still care about numbers and going big. Uh, Quantrix will care about numbers and going big in some way, but they might have some more unique hooks that um, we can figure out in the future when a lot of the other structure of a set is already established. Yeah, I mean, the, the schools have such strong identities that uh -huh. what math magic means really can... We have some flexibility. Um, oh, and I want to stress to the audience, Strixhaven did really, really, really well. Yeah. So the, the, the chance of us returning one day is very, very high. That that, that did amazingly well. Uh, so any last... I, I can see my desk here, Yanni, so I'm almost to work. Uh, <laughs> any, uh, any final thoughts uh, on Strixhaven? Um, I think I got... Uh, oh, yeah, um... On Learn Lesson, a big thing for us to figure out was the out clause with, or figuring out, uh, you know, how many of each we're going to have. Is it going to be a problem when you get too many learns and not enough lessons, too many lessons and not enough learns? Um, so a big innovation that there was a lot of discussion around was Learn having the option of, if you don't put a card, bring in a card from outside the game, you can discard a card to draw a card. Um, I got a lot of pressure saying, oh, is this too... A little too finicky it's you know so often going to be stronger to bring in a card from outside the game when that's an option but i kind of that was my uh big thing that i felt i had to stick to my guns for that 
we needed this out clause in case, you know, you drafted too many lear learn cards and didn't get enough lessons. And then when we got the testing constructed, we also found it was very important there of sometimes you're just struggling with tempo and you don't have time to cast an extra spell. And what you really need is just more selection in that moment. And so it was very, very gratifying to see at the World Championships that kind of the, the most exciting moment uh, was when somebody cast, when Andre Strasky cast Divide by Zero, needed to cast another spell that turn that cost one mana, discarded a card, and drew into his spike field hazard for the big win. So my, my last thing before we sign off for today, Yanni, um, mm -hmm. so I'm not sure the audience knows this, but this was your first, I mean, you had worked on core sets, but this was your first sort of non-core premiere set. Um, mm -hmm. And I just want to say, I, I, I was super, super happy. Like I, um, this was a set I, I was very personally attached to. I really felt really strongly about it. And um, I love how it turned out. So you, I, I'm really happy with all the work you and your team did. And uh, like I, Strict Haven's one of the sets I'm proudest of having worked on. So thank you for all yeah, your hard thanks. work. I'll, I'll, since you threw me a compliment, I'll throw you one. Uh, you know, people know you're a great designer, but uh, the thing that I sometimes manage to forget is how amazing of a world builder you are. And on Strixhaven, like, the idea of it's a magic school, but they're actually learning life skills like math and history. It really is kind of a unique thing you brought to the table. And I'm just so impressed that, you know, people had speculated, oh, is Strixhaven going to be just like every other book I've ever read about a magic school? And it's really not. It's such a unique world. And it ended up there because you had this kind of thing that both gave it such an interesting creative bent and a great um, mechanical grounding of we get to do math magic and we get to do history magic. So it's, thanks for that. It's one of my pet peeves <laughs> of, of like all that kind of, it's like, why don't they ever study math? Like they're always like studying potions <laughs> yeah. and things. Like don't they have to know math and reading and writing? And like, you know, so. <laughs> but anyway, so, so thank you so much, Yanni, for joining us today. This was a lot of fun. I, I uh, Obviously, I love talking about Strict Saving. This is the third interview yeah. I've done it. Uh, so if you haven't listened, by the way, to me and Ari talking about uh, uh, vision design or me and Taylor talking about the art direction, uh, it's a great compliment to, to uh, me and Yanni talking about the set design. So please give those a listen. And thank you so much for joining us, Yanni. But I can see my desk, so we all know what that means. <laughs> means this you. is the end of Drive to Work. So instead of talking magic, it's time for me to be making magic. Thanks, Yanni. And I'll, all of you, I will see you next time. Bye-bye.